Approaching Zion Gospel Mysteries, Episode 9. It took a little while. We started from the bottom. Now we're here. Almost to double digits in episodes. I feel like we need to apologize to our 92 subscribers. You really are going to drop the number in there? <laughs> we're going to look back someday and be like, why are they bragging about 92 subscribers? <laughs> no, no, that was not a brag. That it, it, Actually, it's 92 more than I thought we'd ever get. Actually, that's, that's we're, well, no, we're we on knew the, we had ourselves. We're on the 100 train. Yeah, that's true. We're getting Almost there. Triple digits. We're getting there. So we got to be more regular. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. We've been we've been very consistent up till the holidays starting and that's made it certainly more difficult to get Well, and I was sick it. for like 3 weeks. Yeah, that didn't that Which, didn't. By the way, sorry in advance if I'm coughing. Yeah. Still getting over. We need a mute or a, a cough button. Okay. Pause the button. We're already off quick. off track. Yeah, sorry. Episode 9. We're out of practice. The fullness of the gospel. That's the topic. And this was originally, the topic originally was going to be the Book of Mormon, which is a great topic. But that will probably be a whole series. It could be. One you day. You could do a whole podcast. Yeah, we'll do a whole podcast on the Book of Mormon one day. But the more we talked about it, it kind of turned into, we didn't want to just have a podcast where we're talking about the Book of Mormon, like just in a general way, that mm -hmm. things that everyone kind of already knows, um, you know point of us doing this podcast. That's presumptuous. A lot, of, a lot of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints know. There's a lot of people that maybe are listening to this for the first time, not as familiar, but we wanted to think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the purpose of this podcast, we feel like maybe we can, from time to time, drop a unique insight yes, or, that's or a unique yep. perspective that, you know, that we've come up with our in our studies and our conversations. And um, So while we were kind of throwing things around, it kind of shifted into... Uh, well, we were looking at the introduction of the Book of Mormon, and it says the book. The introduction says that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel, and that's just like profound. Just, what does that mean? The fullness of the gospel, and that's kind of what our the conversation kept going back to is is how what's how do you define the the fullness of the gospel? What does that what does that mean? That what the, are the elements of that? Well, and what does it mean that the Book of Mormon yeah. contains the fullness of the gospel? Because, mm. I mean, the Book of Mormon doesn't contain all things. Right. doesn't necessarily contain all truths. Mm -hmm. The restoration's ongoing. There's still truth being revealed. Many great and important things yet to be revealed, mm. even though we have the Book of Mormon, we have the restored gospel. So what what does it mean to have the fullness of of the gospel, that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel. It's very, I mean, I think it's a very deep and profound conversation here, like topic that, I mean, it could probably go in a lot of directions. Well, and it confidently establishes a very high bar and standard, essentially saying this is the gospel and doctrine of Christ. It contains all of it in one way or another and that everything else is built upon that. Everything else is built on top of that. And that's why this is the keystone of the religion, right, of our faith. It, it is the keystone of, of what we practice and, and what we worship. So, yeah, it, it sets a high bar and a high standard, yet it's able to maintain it. It keeps that bar and, and does not fall short of it at all, as we'll see in our discussion today. Well, it's, I mean, first and foremost, you said it's, you know, the keystone of our religion, also from the introduction, 
Um, it establishes, it's, it is the proof of Joseph Smith's prophetic calling, mm. and therefore it is the proof or the evidence that God has given the world that the church of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the priesthood of Jesus Christ has been restored. So the whole restoration, the purpose of the restoration is to restore the fullness of the gospel or to restore truth, to restore the priesthood. So um, in, in that's, that's the first way we can say that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel. Actually, it has nothing to do with what's in it. It's what it represents, that the, the mechanism or the framework, the organization that God uses to reveal truth is on the earth. And you can identify that organization by the Book of Mormon. Yeah, it establishes Joseph's prophetic calling even before the church or the kingdom of God has been established, right? The fact that he was, he, it was revealed to him where the plates were, when to get them, how to get them, what to do once he received them. It, is, it, it essentially is establishing the, the church built upon revelation and a prophet of God, once again being called again. This is exactly what Christ tells Peter. Upon this rock, right? What is he talking about? Revelation and a prophetic calling, a prophetic witness once again being on the earth. This is exactly what Joseph was called to do before the church was even organized, before before Joseph even knew he was going to be called to establish a church and a ministry just as Christ did, because it is Christ's ministry, before he knew any of that. God and Christ were saying, this is how this starts. It's upon truth, it's upon revelation, and it's upon a prophet of God once again being ordained. And and that is exactly what was happening with the translation of the Book of Mormon. It's super interesting. I mean, it's kind of obvious when you think about it, but it's super interesting that Joseph Smith was a prophet before he had priesthood, like an office in the priesthood. Mm before an organized church or organization was on the earth. He was first and foremost a prophet. Yeah, it kind of goes to his foreordination as that. You know, it was, it was you know, Brigham kind of talks about, could Joseph, you know, chosen not to or, or, or um, rejected his calling? Of course, everyone has that agency. But clearly he was foreordained and came to his mortal existence with an opportunity and ability to be the prophet of God that the Lord needed in this last dispensation and obviously fulfilled that calling and that errand that the Lord put him down here to achieve. But yes, clearly he had a, uh, a, a power and, and an, an ability to be the prophetic messenger he was able to be even before receiving official priesthood keys and, and an office within the church. You know, yeah, he was able to do that. Like you said, first and foremost, or foundationally, it's on the principles of revelation. Yep. That's upon this rock. Mm-hmm. And then through that revelation, that gift of seership that Joseph received with his prophetic calling, he then reestablished the framework organization of the church where the priesthood could be 
officially and formally organized, and then things could operate with structure and in the established way. In the established as one of our favorites, President Packer might say. <laughs> Let me. We you, we normally save this kind of of testimony and witness kind of towards the end of our podcast. But let me say this: there are some things that seem to be set apart that the the Lord, that the Holy Ghost have established as bearing a special or profound witness of. And there's there's at least a handful of these things that I can think of off the top of my head. But two of the things that I know for a fact the Lord will grant and provide just an extraordinary, profound witness of is, one, the Book of Mormon. Read it. Study it. Seek to know if it's true. And if you go to the Lord with real intent and desire, you will receive a witness that is not simply, you know, a, a, a feeling in your heart or a, an idea that there's truth to it. It will be an all-consuming power. It will be a witness from a member of the, of the Godhead. The Holy Ghost will bear witness to your soul that this is true in a way that is beyond words. In addition to that, a second component. I'll just testify that. 100%. We've both had, received that. I've have had we not? that experience. It is true. And it's not something, it's not a figment of our imagination. It's not something we conjure. Very real. On our own. It is extremely real. It is extremely profound. And it's not simply, hey, my, my heart feels good about this. Like, no, this is an external force. This is not trusting in your own heart. No. Trusting no. in your own desire. No. This is an external force that a member of the Godhead bestows upon you. And at that point, you cannot deny. Period. You can't deny it. The second second one in this is the prophet Joseph Smith. You pray to know, was he a prophet of God and called to be to, to hold the keys to this dispensation, the last dispensation of the fullness of times? Man, you do that. You go to the Lord with real intent and a desire to understand with an open heart and a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Man. Same thing. That spirit will be, the Holy Ghost will bear witness of him and of his prophetic call as powerfully as the Holy Ghost does of the Book of Mormon, as powerfully as he does of knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior and Redeemer of the world. Why? Because there are certain things he must bear witness of. And the Book of Mormon and the Prophet Joseph Smith are two of those things. There are obviously others. But those two are so fundamental and so foundational to having a witness and a conversion to the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you haven't received those profound witnesses yet, what we are telling you is they are 100% available. And in fact, the Lord expects you to receive those witnesses and is willing to give them to you. Too often, though, we, we're curious about it. We, we want the Lord to give it to us, but we don't truly seek after that witness. And you've got to come with real intent to receive it. But if you do, the answer you receive and the witness you receive is beyond all, all verbal communication. It's, it's impossible to fully explain it to somebody. When I was received my witness of the Book of Mormon and, and the Restoration, the prayer that I 
that I said to the Lord. Uh, it's kind of funny because I started by being apologetic in my prayer. And I said, I kind of said, like, 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 I'm, I'm sorry I'm asking this because I felt like I already had a testimony. Right? So I kind of felt silly asking to know if something's true that I already believe is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I asked if the Book of Mormon was true, if Joseph Smith was a prophet, and if Thomas S. Monson was a prophet, who was the president of the church at the time. And I don't know why I asked those three specific things. I don't remember. I don't know if there was, I don't think there was some reason behind it. It was what was on my mind, I guess. But those were the things that I asked. There's a witness, and and the Holy Ghost came unto me, and I had the most sacred experience of, of my life that is, like you said, beyond words. Um, but I received the presence of the Holy Ghost. And I learned the Book of Mormon is true, that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and that there was a living prophet, meaning the church is still true. It's, it's the kingdom <laughs> the of God The organization that is on the earth is, yep. is still is still true, because those, I asked those three questions, mm. and I received an answer, affirmative, an affirmative answer to all three of those questions. Um, that's the kind of thing you... You cannot deny. Yeah. It's really what we're saying is, and especially what I what I feel inspired to speak to those who are considering or maybe heading towards or on the path to, you know, receive a full-time mission call. Those that feel the burden, the responsibility in a very good way to go out and bear witness of Jesus Christ and to bear witness of his restored gospel available to all men and women on this earth. Mm-hmm. These two things, especially to those who are in that situation where they are preparing to go and be a essentially a special witness of Jesus Christ. It is an apostolic calling that you are part of. You for sure yep. have an opportunity to receive that ex- extremely powerful and witness. They're going two by two as an extension of of Christ. Of the 12 apostles' yeah. mission to preach the gospel. To bear witness of Christ. It is his direct call that extends back to the New Testament when he started the, the, the two-by-two missions. You know, and, and if you don't believe that you have the right and the privilege to receive that personal witness where you don't have to borrow light from us, you don't have to borrow light from the prophet or the apostles or anybody else in your family or your ward or wherever you can receive light directly from the Godhead. And once you receive it, you cannot deny it. And that will make you and this coming from somebody who never served a mission that will make you immensely more effective as a missionary for the Lord Jesus Christ and to bear witness of him and his divinity. Well, it's different when you can look someone in the eye and say, I know for a fact yep. that this is true because I have received a literal witness answer from the Holy Ghost. Yep. It's different than looking someone say, I know it's true because you believe it's yeah. true. I believe this is it's true. It's okay. It's, it's true. okay to have faith, to take things on faith, to have belief in things. You don't it's okay to not know all things. Yeah. But there's a specific promise and it's available to us for the for knowing that the Book of Mormon is true. And there is that expectation yeah. 
that we seek it. And um, along the lines of what you were saying, when I received that answer, I was 21. So I had already kind of passed, you know, the the traditional traditional age yeah. of going on a mission. And that experience and that witness that I received, I mean, once once it hit me, it was instant change of heart and there was instant clarity. And I knew for a fact I need to be on a mission. Yeah. Like, this is this is true. Mm. Like, I need to go preach this to the world. It's like, I know that it's true now. It's not something that's like, like oh, that's, that's a nice idea. Like, no, it's for a fact true. And like, I, I went and talked to my bishop and went through some some repentance <laughs> and put my papers in and got on a mission. So I was 20 when I received the witness and I was 21 when I got out on my mission. But um, So you were an old missionary, man. Well, you know. I got a baby but face. That you before <laughs> before the church got really big into the senior missions, you were already like, Hey, I'm one step ahead, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm heading that way anyway. I, I I'm always shy to say like I feel I was better off for having waited. Yeah. Like until I mature. got until I got that witness. Yeah. Because like looking back at the tragedy that I almost didn't go on a mission mm-hmm. because greatest thing anyone could ever do with their lives. I, I have received blessings from your mission. I never served, but the the insights, the knowledge, the witness, the the intelligence that I have received from you has been a direct. It has been a direct result of the con- consecrated effort you spent serving a mission. And there are things that you know we've learned just from you looking back in your mission journals, like stuff that didn't mean a lot to you back then, or might have meant something different. We'll kind of discuss it today, and it completely deepens and changes our perspective on certain principles of the gospel first thing that came to mind is i remember on my mission just studying i was reading one of the uh just church hand general handbooks and i like did a study on on like the elders quorum presidency and how 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 it's organized and different committees and i kind of did an outline and a study on how per the manual how it ought to work even though I've never seen it <laughs> works that way, really quite work that way. Yeah. I remember, like you were called into the elders quorum presidency, and you called me up, and that just came to my mind. And I pulled out my journals as we started talking about it. And you were like, "Man, it we was were like that's revelation, ins-. dude." And we were like, "That's that's so inspiring." Yeah, it was. And it's just the, the mission is what I tell. I try to tell people. I don't know if it actually inspires anyone or not, but <laughs> it's on the mission. You get like fifty years of life experience and mm-hmm. and gospel experience in two. Yeah. It really is like that. And it's just, I mean, and, and you get to see people's lives blessed and changed. And you just, you get, this, is what I tell, this is what I tell the youth. I'm like, okay, you graduate high school, finally. <laughs> You're out of high school. Now what? Now, like, you want to serve a mission? And if they're like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, well, well what else are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to... You're gonna go back to more school. Yeah, go go back to college. Like you literally just dead. you just got out of high school, like yeah. that you probably hated, <laughs> and like you're like super excited to go for more school, especially when you don't really know what you want to do. Well, the, right now, then the alternative is I'm gonna go get a job. Yeah, no doubt. Like, how is it even? Uh, how is that even like a choice? A, like an option? Like like or you can go on a mission and like change people's well, lives with the gospel. But that's the interesting thing is like your story where you've received that witness. Here's the thing about truth, eternal truth. Once you receive truth, then decisions are easy. 
like yeah. life becomes organized and and easy it at was that point. it is now hard for me to be a bum yeah because... i was i was a bum <laughs> and then the lord came unto me gave me truth mm-hmm. and like the path became clear the path at became that point clear. and like it's simple being at that a point bum right now like it's just like i instantly feel like i'm like i'm just wasting my life yep and we're you know we've I don't know where we are. I don't know where we are either. But the point is <laughs> that that for those who are seeking a witness, do not just dance around the sandbox. You can know that it's true. Yes. Don't just be curious I'm gonna look or at the camera fascinated. And invite you to pray to know that the Book of Mormon is true. With real intent. And I'm not speaking to investigate, I'm speaking to everybody. If you're a lifelong member born in the church and you've never gone through that process just because you've you've always believed it, you've taken on faith, you've had different experiences, pray to know that the Book of Mormon is true. It's a promise that's available to you. Well, first read it, at least part of it. Like get, get into it a little bit. Let the Spirit open up to you of the truthfulness of it. And then once you start saying hey there really might be something here take it into your heart yeah yeah let it enter into your heart and and then test it a lot you see that's the crazy thing dude that this is what drives me nuts oh you're getting worked up i know i, I told you before we started this podcast that you got to reel me in man because i'm feeling it tonight <laughs> this is the absolutely nuts thing man like the church the the brethren and the sisters who lead and guide the church today if we are a cult, it is the worst run cult ever designed. <laughs> yeah. Because this is what they do. Here's a book. Read it. Pray about it. Oh, you don't want to go on a mission? Okay. We'll see you in church next Sunday. And if you don't come to church next Sunday, well, that's your choice. But we'll reach out and we want to love you and minister to you. But otherwise, here's what they base everything off of. This book is true. If the book is true, Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, and you don't have to take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it is what they really say. You have a responsibility to go to the Lord and receive a witness for yourself. You cannot live off borrowed light. That is the worst message a cult could ever give to its people, period. End of story. Go to God and, and determine, find the answer. Determine for yourself yep. what's true. Because I can't give it to you. Only God can give it to you. And and at that point, they wash their hands of it. Like, it's on you at that point, man. Like, this is, it is the most brilliant way for God to establish who his people are and who is going to be chosen and not chosen. Because it completely is dependent on agency and the exercise thereof. We give you truth. We teach proper principles, but whether or not you receive it into your heart, it's not on me. It's not on the prophet of God. It's on you as an individual to use the agency God's given you to choose him. That's ultimately what agency is designed designed to do. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> so I digress. Think, I think this 20-minute segment is establishing that a key element of the fullness of the gospel is personal revelation. Correct. I, th- I think that's... We could have summed it up in I 15 think, seconds. I think that's the basis of what we've established here. Um, but that's, that's important because, I mean, you see that as a theme throughout the entire Book of Mormon. Yeah. What did prophets do? Well, they were led by the Spirit and by the Spirit of Revelation, mm-hmm. and they did their best according to that revelation that they received. Yep. And through their 
human efforts, miracles, God performed miracles on behalf well, of the people. Well, even, even more, through their imperfect human efforts, right. God made it enough. He took their imperfect efforts and he sanctified them and he made it enough. And that's a story, that that is a truth we can all use in our lives. So another way that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel is that it's an inspired translation. It's a divine, divinely inspired translation, uh, which means that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of its own record. <laughs> um, compare that with the Bible, that we do not have the original manuscripts written by the original authors of all the books of the Bible. They've been copied over and over again through the Dark Ages, um, through men who were, at best, less than inspired, mm. at worst, perhaps they could have been malicious and intent, you know, working for personal gain instead of working for the Lord. Um, we don't know. That's yeah. the point. We don't know. It's past hand so many times, so many times. You get to the King James Version in English, they were not professing to be prophetic translators. They were academics. Yeah. And they did an outstanding academic job. Amazing. But they were translating from transcripts, not from original documents. Tra copies of copies of copies of copies. So um, the, the Bible references books that are lost to time. I mean, there's the whole Apocrypha, which, um, you know, it's unclear if, if they were inspired or not, so they were left out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's... Um, we don't know what's missing or what we don't have that was there originally. Mm -hmm. Or we don't know if the translations are 100% true in... In, in principle and in doctrine to what those original transcripts, what those original authors were trying to convey. So the Bible, because of those weaknesses of men, right, does not contain necessarily a fullness of its own record. Mm -hmm. That's That doesn't mean it's not the Word of God. Yeah, that, now let's be clear about that point. We are in no way saying that the Bible is not true and does not bear witness of Jesus Christ and his divinity. And the Old Testament is ultimately seeking to point people to Jesus Christ who would ultimately come. We know that the Bible does those things, but the standard we're establishing here is, does it contain a fullness of the everlasting gospel? And right now we would have to say, well, there, there are things that have clearly been left out of it. The, What's in it is true, but there may be additional truth that is not in it. In fact, we know that's the case because of the way in which it came to yeah. be. Well, the chain of custody with it, the, you might say. The books of the Bible, when they were originally written at the hand of the original author, was 100% correct and the word of God. Correct. Anything that may have been changed or mistranslated or manipulated at the hands of men since then mm -hmm. is less is less than trustworthy, is less than correct. Yep. The Book of Mormon we have Well and, and furthermore to put a to put a fine point on that, because the original writings were received by revelation and inspiration, you must then conclude that in order to translate them 
you must do it by revelation and inspiration. Well, now, I'm not saying the men who translated it didn't have that, but what I am saying is I don't know that that is ultimately every, everything they were focused on was being as accurate as translating it as possible, was focusing on seeking revelation from God. What's the most correct way to translate this? What I'm saying is we, there are just aspects of it that we're unsure about. We just don't know. Yeah. And people are going to take this the wrong way, probably. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Because we're actually not putting down the Bible yeah. at all. It's actually a miracle that it's Because that we it still testify exists. that the Bible is the Word of God. Yeah. Uh, 100%. But that does not mean that, right, there are, are not weaknesses of men, right, involved in, in the process and, and how we have it today. And I mean, how many translations in English do we have? And they don't all agree in principle when you compare them next to each other. Yeah. That in itself is a cause of concern. What, like just among English translations, well, which one's most correct? Like that's a question people have. Yeah. And how would you know that it's correct? The only way to know is to have an original manuscript and be able to compare it. And even then it would be difficult yeah. probably. Well, and, and this this whole concept that we're discussing here, is really what gets at the heart of, I think, where a lot of the difference is and maybe the, the tension or the friction comes in from, you know, mainstream or traditional Christianity, e evangelical thinking, and where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints come from. We embrace Scripture and truth, but we constantly allow for this continuous revelation and the word of God coming to and ultimately allowing him to be a living God in our lives. Whereas some evangelicals well, we live seek, by... We seek discernment. A hundred percent. Discernment of truth through the Holy Ghost, mm -hmm. right, of the intent of that scripture. Mm -hmm. but, but the flip side of that is this whole kind of sola scriptura perspective of if it's not in the Bible... It cannot be true or we cannot live by it, right? Everything that many Christian believers adhere to is it's either in the Bible and we, we follow it and we live by that. And if it's not in the Bible, we have there's nothing we can do with it. And so we must back away. Like everything. Reject it. Yes. Or, re, or we must reject it. And what we're saying is no. All truth is of God. Yes. All truth is of God. The Bible contains a lot of that truth, but to simply believe... A miraculous amount of that truth. Yes, 100%. But to simply believe that God and his truth can be contained in a single book that he wants all of his children to receive, is just it's just factually not true. There's so much more God desires for his children to receive, we have to be willing and ready to receive it. And keys and authority must be on the earth to receive it. And that's the difference is we believe in scripture. We believe it's true, but we also believe in authority of prophets, of, of apostles, which is exactly what the scriptures show us. It is the model given in the scriptures, in the Bible. In the Bible. <laughs> and yet we preach that and are criticized for it because some of those ideas seem to, in some people's minds, go outside of the Bible. And it's like, well, I don't put God in a box. I'm not going to limit him to a book. He is bigger than that. I and I, I don't mean to be offensive. I'm just saying he can do more than what is contained in the Bible.
as great as it is, he's he's more capable than that. Yeah, there's no limit. Yeah, to put on him. Yep. Yeah, I I remember I was having a conversation when I moved into this house. I had a conversation. A, 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 I don't remember what church it was. It might have been a a, a pastor from a might have been a Baptist church or something. But came and knocked on the door to saw the public records that there was a new homeowner and came to invite invite us to his church. Well, we started we started talking. He you know I told him I was LDS and you know I. He immediately, like his defenses went up, but uh, we started talking about the Bible, and you know he he started talking about like oh like you can't have more revelation like the but like it's different like the Bible like in the Bible you had like the apostles mm-hmm. that were were writing, and I went oh like twelve apostles you say, and then he then he clicked like oh like you believe like what we believe you believe yeah. you have to and then and then he looked so he like i said oh 12 apostles and then he like it kind of clicked and he looked at me he goes but not today not today it can't be 12 apostles today <laughs> not 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 today uh, and we're and we're not trying to to to, to bash or no, to or like to it was or just, to it belittle it's funny to me well it's, it's just, just funny to me because like it's so much it's it, it's so much more freeing and and to just like to say well, like the doctrine can be consistent with the yeah. Bible. That's well, okay. And that's that's where I was going with to our evangelical friends and to our Christian friends. What we're saying is there's a lot of friction sometimes between our beliefs. All we are trying to say is we literally take the model that is given to us in the Old and New Testament, and we have executed on that. No, I shouldn't say we. The Lord has reestablished that model in our day. That he himself set up yes. initially. He yeah. set up the church during his mortal ministry. He set it up in a very specific way. It, through apostasy, was lost. And today he has once again restored that same ministry that he had before. The model given in the scriptures is the model used today. And so there doesn't need to be tension or friction. Now you could say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, that's fine if that's your belief, but you cannot say, well, everything you believe is incorrect. No, everything we follow and believe adheres very well with the example given to us in the Old and the New Testament. An interesting question or an interesting test is, ask someone, how do you know that the Bible is true? Mm. We can believe that it's true. But how how do you know that it's true? What's what's the answer to that question? How can you know, like for a fact, personally, that the Bible is true? Yeah. How can you know it? Well, some people might say you live by its teachings and you bear fruit of those teachings, which is okay. part of it. That's okay. true. But there are a lot of good books I mean, books the Bible written. says that. Prove all things. Yes. And you shall know them by their fruits. And, and that's actually speaking of something else. But but a similar, similar mm-hmm. um, perspective here is if you live by its teachings, you are going to bear good fruit. Okay. But again, that is not going back well, to that, our first point. That's a principle of revelation. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But we, what we are, are saying is you can seek direct communication, communion with the Godhead, with God, to understand, is this true? So not only do you receive revelation through the fruits of living a certain lifestyle, but God himself 
will give you a witness of its truth. Well, the, where I'm going with this is because the Bible doesn't have the promise like a book of Mormon no, it doesn't does contain to, that same to promise. Yeah. question to God if it's true or not. Mm -hmm. um, it was compiled actually several centuries after Jesus and the apostles were on the earth. It's a it's 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 not a, an original Christian document to begin with. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the, the Christian church existed for hundreds of years without a Bible. Without a New Testament. Yes, without a New Testament, fair point. And so, like, how would you know today that the Bible, any of it, is true? Well, um, a lot of people answer that question by saying, well, the Bible is true because it's true. Yeah. Or the Bible is true because it's the Bible. Yeah. It's like circular logic. Yeah. It's true because it's true. Well, that's that's not an answer. Um. You know, the a better attempt would be like, oh, there's like historical evidence of everything in the Bible and there's more of it coming to light every day. Well, that is true that the people of the Bible and events of the Bible are historically true. Mm -hmm. But that's that's not knowing that the spiritual truths are true. Mm -hmm. The only way that you can know that it's true is would be personal revelation. Right. Or right. And or. Right. A uh, a direct answer from God or an angelic witness declaring it to be true, mm -hmm. which there's no claims of of that happening. Like after the Bible was compiled, mm -hmm. that you know there has been a a, a dissension. You know, so, angels coming down and, yeah. and declaring it to a prophet or two men that the Bible is true. Yeah, this is people, the word of God. Yeah. People go on the they go on the 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 authority of those who wrote it, mm -hmm. assuming that it's correct and that they are true documents from those people, and they believe, they have faith, that those people had the priesthood of Christ to do that. So it's all faith-based, which is fine. Yeah. Like, that's we have to have faith in things. Like, no one knows all things. Mm -hmm. But how do you know that it's true? Mm -hmm. And as Latter-day Saints, we actually do know that the Bible is true. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the Book of Mormon declares it to be true. Yes, exactly right. It is an additional witness. The Book witness. of Mormon says, even though some plain and precious truths have been lost along the way, mm -hmm. the Bible, as originally written by the original authors, is the Word of God. It's yes. true. Yep. And the Book of Mormon has been declared by angels, the ministry of angels, to be true. Right. So we can know that the Book of Mormon is true, and, and then we can know that the Bible is true because the Book of Mormon testifies that the Bible is true. Mm -hmm. That's our basis of not just believing in the Bible, mm -hmm. but knowing that the Bible is true and the Word of God. Yep. And with those two witnesses, right, we have the greatest insights to the correct interpretation of of what those prophets were really communicating and trying to to get across to us. Yeah. That's just it's an amazing thing to consider. Yeah. It it is when at times the members of our faith kind of get accused of not adhering to or or not following the the Bible, which I think on on its face is ludicrous, but on the one hand you have a book that so many people, good people believe in and follow and are devoutly committed to, yet the book, for all intents and purposes, has, has, through painstaking efforts, kind of been held together by the efforts of men. And good on them because it is a true book. But then what we're saying is, well, we have a, perhaps a more correct book, the Book of Mormon, which 
also testifies the most correct the most correct book which testifies of the bible and then the book of mormon itself is what we're claiming is don't just take our word for it like angels of god the ministry of angels took place to bear witness to men on earth that this book is divinely inspired and is of god and within this divinely inspired book is a witness of the bible that would come forth it's interesting when people are like they go out of their way to to not believe the book of mormon like okay there's there were witnesses that had an angel appear to them testifying of the truthfulness of the book of mormon ah, they could lie about that sure like, you're like going out of your way to deny a book that it testifies and would be a proof that the Bible is true. Yeah, that's what I, that, that's exactly what atheists would say about the Bible. It's like these miracles that are talked about or discussed in, or, or angels appearing or a virgin conceiving. It, it would be so easy, easy for the same argument to be used against any believer in, in just the Bible to say, people just made that up. But I know for a fact from our YouTube and Instagram comments that we get, <laughs> and a lot of people, they hear Book of Warbred and they just... Yeah, they just they just they're out. They just they just zone out. They say next. And and yet (laughs) the witnesses that have been given of the Book of Mormon are the same model, the same methodology, the same examples we see in the Bible used to testify of Jesus Christ, of God, the father and their divinity and their work on the earth. How does God announce truth? He sends messengers. That's exactly right. How did God uh, announce? Revealed to the world, announced to the world, a flood was coming. He sent messengers, right? What, how did God attempt to save Nineveh? He sent a messenger, right? How did God prepare the way for Jesus? He sent a messenger. Yeah. Right? That's that's the model. That's yeah. how God works. He sends human messengers, prophets, witnesses to declare truth is being received. Right? Truth needs to be revealed to the world. Mm-hmm. And then you can accept it or reject it. Mm-hmm. You can get on the ark with Noah or you can hang out in the flood. You, yeah, you can party in Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> I don't think we meant for this turn into a, an apologetic <laughs> on our faith or, or on the we Book of Mormon. 100% did not. Did not. But the, the point that we're trying, the root of what we're trying to drive at is the, the model that is given to us in the Bible, what we're saying is, it is correct. It is the right model. And that's exactly what was used to bring about the Book of Mormon and the witness received of it. Like, it is exactly what's demonstrated in the Bible. That's all we're trying to well, say. Well, and that the Book of Mormon, one of the reasons it contains the fullness of the gospel is because it was divinely translated. Yep. And because of that, you can have certainty and knowledge, not just faith, mm-hmm. of of spiritual truths. Yeah. And, you know, it's the book Warren claims to be the most correct book of any book on earth for that purpose. Yeah. That, um, you know, that it says it's the most correct book. And then right after that, it says, but if there's any faults, <laughs> there is men are still involved. There here. are mistakes of men. Yeah. So do not condemn the things of God because men have weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, does that clearly, you know, m- uh, that's the title page, right? So that's that's uh, Mormon doing the the abridgment, right? So he's, you know, he's saying, look, there could be faults in in the book, mm-hmm. like there could be there there could be things that are a little off one way or the other. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that it is spiritually, doctrinally, 
and incorrect. in principle yeah. incorrect. Yep. You know, it just it just means it was written by men, and we make mistakes. Yeah. God right? God works with what He has. Right. And He works with imperfect people. You can find mistakes in the Bible, and that doesn't mean the Bible's not true. Right. It just means weird translation, or it was just it was written one way, and they. They just didn't communicate what they were well, trying to say. And the funny thing is, some of the criticisms that people have used in the past about the Bible, time as time is going by, they're starting to say, hey, there's actually more proof of some of these things claimed in the Bible, right? Whether it's it's the flood or whatever the case may be. There's lots of stuff going on with that. And then same thing with the Book of Mormon. Stuff that people used to very on the surface say, oh, this proves the Book of Mormon isn't true. As time is going by... There's actually a lot of evidence yeah. coming forward that, no, all, this is extremely possible. It all gets debunked. Yes. So much in both books, the same thing is happening where time is actually removing some of those stumbling blocks that are superficial. Science and time has actually been very friendly yeah. to the scriptures. Yeah. 100%. Both the Bible and, and the Book of Mormon. 100%. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Let's, we got we to move on. Yeah. So another reason that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel is that it teaches very clearly and many times what it means to be converted to Christ. It gives, uh, there's some great examples in the Bible too, but the Book of Mormon, it really presents a narrative and 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 relatable um, people, prophets, that show that conversion process in a way that this is really relatable. And... The one that that I uh, love is Nephi, First Nephi. I've I've always said that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel, but actually First Nephi contains the fullness of the gospel. Yeah, and <laughs> and that's that's intentional. There's not there's it's purposeful that that's like the first book. You only make it through First Nephi, like you could get enough. You've got a lot. You, you could get enough that. out of that to yeah. to make it. <laughs> but Nephi, right? He started off. He was young. His dad was a visionary. He had to get with the program, mm -hmm. right? He he could either get with the program or he could follow Laman and Lemuel. Yep, be like his brothers. So um, very early on, chapter 2, right, he states that he was desirous to know the mysteries of God, and he cried unto the Lord, and he received a softening of heart. Right? So he first... Humble. He had to humble himself. He had to maybe seek a little bit of repentance, and he had to have real intent, mm -hmm. desired to know the mysteries of God. Okay, then in the next chapter, chapter three, right? He's with the program. Yeah. So he's sent back to the place. I will go. I will do. Right. He's received a witness. He's got that personal revelation. Now he's all in. I will go and I will do. You know, give me a commandment. I'll do it. And only after he's going and doing, once he's they're back in Jerusalem, they're trying to get the plates and they're failing. Then he begins to become led by the Spirit, right? So he's gone through the effort of attempting to go and do, right, through grit and hard work and through his own efforts. His efforts, his, however, fall, however short they may which fall. Which is great, yep. right? That's his faith. In action. In action. But then, through the, by that real intent, becoming integrity and following through and, and giving it his all, he begins to be led by the Spirit, and he begins to do things in the Lord's way. He's able to discern what is correct spiritually. And so that is really like he's, be he's becoming converted to Christ, like spiritual, not just in belief, but he's becoming, 
He's getting union with Christ and be able to live through that spirit. And then later, of course, that goes further and he receives great visions and and and, and prophetic revelations and yeah. becomes a, a receives direct knowledge. And becomes an amazing prophet. And, yeah. You know, he he was just a boy. Yeah. And he went through that process and became a prophet. You know <clears throat> that's how can any of us not relate with with him and and how can we not be inspired by the greatness that's available if we seek the, the mysteries of God and we seek we seek to become converted. You know, one of the things that I've I've really learned to appreciate about not just Nephi, but the story of Lehi and Nephi in particular, and, and, and Sam as well, is that their faith and understanding grew as time went by. But what had to happen for them to truly get to this point of real conversion? What was going on in Jerusalem previously when they lived there? It was wickedness. It was denial. It was following the philosophies of man. And so first, what did the Lord what did the Lord tell Lehi and Nephi that they had to do? You gotta get out of Jerusalem. You gotta separate yourself. And yes, that means you go out into the wilderness and there might be some uncomfort and there might be some lack of ease in that process. It's not the easier way. But what was the reward for acting upon that and then continuing to do Fleeing the right Jerusalem things? Jerusalem at that time was really fleeing Babylon. Yes, 100%. Because Babylon That's was coming going. in and taking over. Yes. Jerusalem had succumbed to the ways of the world. It had, it had succumbed to Babylon. Well, and it was being taken over. It was being... Yes, Babylon was actually on its way to conquer yeah. Jerusalem, literally, at this time. And so, but, but their conversion started with first fleeing the world. or turning away from the world. Get out. Yes, it's uneasy. Yes, it's uncomfortable. But first, separate yourself from that. Why do I say that? <clears throat> there are so many amazing investigators and new members of the church, and, and well, frankly, even longtime members of the church who hear messages, they hear aspects of the gospel, and they gravitate towards it, and they recognize the truth within it. And and the spirit within them initially says, I need more of this. And then for one reason or another, one thing leads to another, the world encroaches upon them, whether it's a job situation or money or distress within the family or whatever the case may be, school Anything, whatever it is. Friends and family of different faiths, sowing yes. doubt. There, there are so many, there are numerous ways that they cannot be enumerated that the world can encroach upon you. But the story, the illustration we see with Nephi is whatever you've got to do, whatever the cost, separate yourself from those things, right? Christ in the New Testament even says like, look, you follow me. You may have to, you know, you may have to deny your mom, your dad, your family, whomever, like you may have to turn your back on those things. But by turning and fleeing from the world and allowing yourself to be pulled out into the wilderness, which can be scary, is where you find the Lord or, or, or really that's where he's able to find you. You've separated yourself now. You've allowed space for him to take you now by the hand and lead you down the path of righteousness. So if you've heard some truth 
or if you want to receive more truth in your life, if you feel like I'm just not close enough to the spirit or to the Lord the way that I used to be or the way that I feel like I should be, step one, separate yourself from the world. Give the spirit and give the Lord some space to operate within because he will not force you to do anything. And so long as the world has covered you up, you are always limited in what the Lord knows you're capable of. So separate, get a little uncomfortable, get a little bit uneasy and get away from whatever parts of the world are preventing you from growth. I don't know where that leaves us. Let's, <laughs> let's keep moving. Well, I mean, that's part of the fullness of the gospel, right? Is fleeing Babylon and seeking Zion. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's the whole Nephite, Lamanite back and forth. Well, that's what Lehi was promised, right? The promised land. Mm -hmm. The Lord told him, I will lead you to a promised land. And it took a long time. A lot of trials and tests along the way, but there was a promised land to be had. Mm -hmm. And we, and of course, the Nephites is, is established a Zion society after the visitation of Christ, um, which is the ideal, right, that we aim for with the fullness of the gospel, is to become Zion individuals and establish Zion as as a city, as a uh, as a social structure. Mm -hmm and political structure on the earth. Um, let's keep going on that just idea of, of Lehi and Nephi and, and them fleeing Babylon or fleeing Jerusalem because I, I, there's aspects of that that tie into how the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel. Um, and what we see, because, because the Book of Mormon initially is an Old Testament document. It's in Old Testament times, 600 uh, BC, BC yep. right? And what's happening? Babylon's coming to destroy Jerusalem. Lehi has been warned. Meaning everything is going to become corrupted, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm pretty sure if I remember my history correctly that like Zedekiah was already installed like um, kind of... Uh, illegally as part of like the conquest that was going on. So there was already corruption mm -hmm. coming into in into Jerusalem politically. Mm -hmm. And of course that has influence spiritually, yeah. religiously. And and of course this and this is at a time where Jerusalem had been going through a huge reformation because they had lost the law and they had found it again. And they had become very strict adherents to the law because they had just been so excited that they found the original um, books in the law. So it's, it, there's a lot of cool history like that is just context behind the Book of Mormon that you it's, it's not explicitly explained in the Book of Mormon. You have to kind of understand what was going on in Jerusalem at the time. But we know that corruption was coming, and that's the reason to get out, because the truths were going to be lost. Mm -hmm. The freedom of religion that they were able to practice was not going to be available, and therefore there was not a mechanism, there was not an organization or a framework for true prophets and the spirit of prophecy to keep the church together, to keep the truth um, being practiced correctly. So what happened? God, God called a prophet, Lehi, to flee. And what do we see... Uh, what do we see happening with 
with the family of Lehi when, when they flee the temple. Well, um, we see parallels from other parts of the Old Testament going on there. Right, the whole aspect of fleeing, right, for Jerusalem, it's an exodus. Mm-hmm. So we have Lehi, who was like a Moses figure. And we have Nephi, who's kind of a David figure. So just like how David killed Goliath, cut off his head, right? We have Nephi, who killed Laban, cut off his head. Yeah. Um, Let me add a couple more points to that, too. It's interesting that Moses, who was in Pharaoh's court... And was actually, because he was Pharaoh's second son now, albeit adopted, was essentially going to be the spiritual leader of Egypt at that time. He would be essentially the high priest of the Egyptian uh, priesthood of the Egyptian religion at that time. He denied all that. He gave up all of that power that he could have had so that he could lead this exodus. Let's consider Lehi now. Lehi was extremely wealthy. We know this, which meant... He was probably very well educated. His sons were probably very well educated. It's very likely that had they stuck around when well, Babylon invaded, yeah, Nephi was literate. Yeah, like he knew what he was talking about. He had, I mean, Nephi had to read the scriptures to his brothers because they were not seemingly they were not literate. So, they, like, they were not nobodies in Jerusalem. They were somebodies in Jerusalem. But I mean, Nephi specifically, like, obviously, because it was not common for everyone to be literate. Right. You were literate if you were trained for the for a purpose or a a, a trade. Mm-hmm. Right. So obviously Nephi was being trained, right, to be a scribe. Yeah. Because he was literate and knew the scriptures. And very what would well. have happened when Babylon comes in? What did they do with those who were wealthy, with those who were educated, with those who had skills? They didn't just kill them. They didn't just slaughter them. No, they took them back. And those people were essentially indoctrinated with the ways of the world, yeah. with Babylon, right? And so Nephi we'll, and we'll Lehi were preserved. We'll give you status yes. in, in the new order yep. if you get with our program. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and they were preserved from that, you know, because they chose to what? Flee. Same thing with Moses. Because if you didn't, you were, they would kill you. Yeah. Right? Just... Yeah. So it's kind of gun to your head like, hey, you're going to do this? Well, yeah, I guess so. What choice do I have? So we see truth being lost and God preserving truth in the same way that he had uh, established his truth to begin with. We see, we, we, see, we see a Moses figure. We see prophetic. We see a Davidic figure in Nephi, which is like um, kingly yeah. authority, essentially. We have so much so that his brothers even cons- or, or, or uh, accuse him of wanting to be a king and a ruler over them. Right. He had that aura about him. They went back and got the plates, the books of Moses, the law of Moses. Yep. Just like Moses had the, revealed the, the law and the Ten Commandments, um, they had you know, and then they had other relics that they commu- uh, accumulated along the way. The the, the sword of Laban. sword of Laban, the the Liahona, mm-hmm. um, through, uh, through the through the uh, Jaredites and everything. We had the breastplate and the Urim and Thummim. Right, these were all things that that had been that were accumulated and they carried with them. And then what do we see Lehi doing along the way? Well, we see him building altars. And worshiping, mm-hmm. we see him establishing, in essence, a tabernacle, right? He dwelt in a tent, and he was establishing altars, and he was performing temple rites. Yeah. Okay, so we had authority, apparently Melchizedek authority, because he was he was officiating these things uh, under the tribe of Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, we And we, we got to add, too, that Lehi not only financially was well-off and was somebody in Jerusalem, but he 
not, not only was he called as a prophet of God, but that meant he had authority to perform certain actions and certain deeds. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't accidental that he was able to carry these temple rites with him into the wilderness with his family through his patriarchal calling, right? Through the patriarchal priesthood he had. He was actually authorized to take the temple rites with him into the wilderness and continue to allow that knowledge and that form of worship to continue and to move forward just as Moses did. So, uh, uh, yeah, essentially, they just like the tabernacle of Moses had certain relics that had symbolic meaning, right? The Nephites were establishing their own, their own relics, their own tabernacle, and they were preserving the temple rites. That was their calling, was to preserve the temple rites so they would not go into apostasy and be lost from the earth when Jerusalem was conquered. And they were called right to the Americas because part of everything they were doing was also fulfilling promised blessings to Joseph of Egypt through his descendants, through his seed, to receive that inherited, that, that promised land through his, through his posterity. But that's one of the reasons why the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel because it places the temple and the preservation of the temple and the importance of the temple in the forefront. And it's actually one of the criticisms that got proven right along the way is that there was criticisms that like, oh, Lehi was like building altars and, and doing temple worship outside the temple of Jerusalem. Like that. That's not allowed. Yeah, that's not allowed. But then when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, there was a, a book of the temple that actually had exceptions that when you're three days journey away from Jerusalem, it's permitted to do to, to perform things on a local level. Which is exactly what which Lehi is, says they which do. Which is exactly, <laughs> like Lehi specifically traveled through, says three days and built an altar. Yeah. Uh, just, again, we'll go back into apologetics, yeah, but it's, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating that these things are like so perfectly like aligned. In sync, yeah. But, and then Joseph Smith, when he was called to find the plates, he digs up essentially a box of sorts and all of these relics were in this box. He, it's essentially he discovered an Ark of the Covenant, the yep. Nephite Ark of the Covenant, yep. that would have been in the Holy of Holies in in right in 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 the Nephite Temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course, when they make it to the Americas, what do they say? They began building temples after yep. the order of the Temple of Solomon, yep. um, the best they could. So the Temple, like the Book of Mormons, the fullness of the Gospel, because. We learn of the importance and the central focus of temple rites, of the temple, uh, to the covenant people of God. And that's just so important. Mm-hmm. Like that is, the temple is everything to the gospel. Yeah. It it always has been and always was, right? Even Jesus focused on the temple. He, yeah, we, cleansing it. From a young age, Keeping he was teaching in the temple. He was yeah. focused on cleansing, maintaining the purity of the temple, even with his death and and renting the veil, mm-hmm. like like the crucial and key moment of the atonement and his is like his death on the cross and renting like he specifically chooses to make a symbolic act in the temple, mm-hmm. and then of course compares his body and resurrection to the temple. Right, everything is focused on the temple. And, of course, we know today that the temple still is, in God's and in Christ's church, the central focus and yeah. the main way that we receive the keys of the priesthood to truly gain our 
personal relationship with God and come back into his presence and receive our salvation and exaltation. And Christ did not come to, um, to overthrow or do away with the temple and with temple rites. That is not, that's absolutely not what he was, was there to do. In fact, as you mentioned, was trying to purify and cleanse the temple to maintain what was supposed to be going on in the temple. But what happened is it was rejected. The temple and ultimately what it was meant or designed for was rejected by those who should have been upholding the ordinances performed within the temple. And so because of that, the consequences of that is those temple rites in the old world were essentially lost. It, w- it became apostate. There were no more temple rites available because of the agency used to reject them. Well, we don't see that in in the Book of Mormon and in the New World, at least for a longer period of time, those temple rites and the focus on the temple continued um, up through essentially the end of the Book of Mormon when, you know, kind of all hell breaks loose, literally. You know, so it, it was central to everything in well, the Book of Mormon. And, and meanwhile, the, the temple was destroyed Jerusalem, and it still is. Yeah, exactly. To this right. day. Yeah. That's exactly even right. though even with the restoration of the Jews to Israel and to Jerusalem, like they still have not restored their temple. Yeah. And that's what God was doing. He yeah. was preserving it and and with all that, we have so much truth reserved through the plates and through those prophets that were that were sent to 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 preserve those those things. Just amazing. Um and there's other there's other temple themes. I mean, the temple there's temple themes throughout the entire Book of Mormon. It's um, uh, King Benjamin, mm. right? Very clearly, like with him in, in, in the center, and everyone and all the families turning their tents towards the temple, towards essentially towards the temple, right? Um, towards towards the prophet, towards the source of revelation mm-hmm. that they that they have. That's very that's very clearly temple themes. Um, importance of genealogy, of ancestry, yeah, uh, is all throughout the Book of Mormon. Law of consecration, like that's, I mean, King Benjamin is. You got to give it all, man. I mean, he's what a what an amazing discourse on the law of consecration. Yep, and and all throughout the Book of Mormon, we see if you don't give to the poor, the needy, if you turn away and and don't provide for those in need. You know, then then you're you, essentially you're good for nothing. I mean, you're you're never going to receive all that the Father has in store for you. And so there's this constant theme throughout the Book of Mormon of give everything to the Lord, and you'll receive more than you deserve in return. Right, and that's essentially what law of consecration leads to is inheriting all that the Lord has to give. Somewhere along the way, I, I heard a criticism of the Book of Mormon. They're like, "Oh, if it contains the fullness of the gospel, why doesn't it have like, uh, why doesn't it contain the, the temple ordinances mm-hmm. like it does the sacrament ordinances?" Yeah, there's things, and um, again, we go back to what does the fullness of the gospel mean as it pertains to the Book of Mormon? It's a much greater um, scope, like the purpose, the saying that the Book of Mormon contains the fullness does not does not mean that the Book of Mormon contains all truth. Yeah, that's not the point. Having said that, 
a lot of those ordinances are in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> They're just not in your face. It's not, yeah, it's not like there's sacred things are not necessarily yeah. put out on display. Um, it's appropriate to keep sacred I mean, things there's actually, sacred. There's actually like, there, there's journal entries of of people who, who saw the plates that um, talked about how like there was there was sacred geometry on associated with the plates of the Book of Mormon, meaning meaning there were there was a compass and square um, on the plates yeah. on the cover plates of of the Book of Mormon, which is not something that you hear about or is talked about. It's really interesting, but it clearly shows that there were Joseph Smith was and could have been and was taught many things related to the temple, like from the beginning. When he got the plates of the Book of Mormon, that that maybe did not come into play with the Restoration until many years later. Yeah, like just because just because certain things didn't wasn't on the record or in the record and in the translation of the Book of Mormon, he was still being taught by angels along the way, mm -hmm. and he was being given uh, he was being taught truth and true Scripture and true interpretations by the ministry of angels, right in parallel to um, translating, publishing the Book of Mormon, but also establishing the church. So right, part of the fullness of the gospel is the ministry of angels, is a living prophet, is a, a framework and proper organization for these things to come to pass. And having, um, through revelation and through proper priesthood keys, all of those saving ordinances necessary to enter into the presence of God. Yeah. And, I mean, if you think about it, how many times in the Book of Mormon do people come into the presence of Christ? Yeah. Well, and the and the other thing, too, if you think about, for those who are, are initiated and familiar with the covenants we make in the temple, and those aren't secret. The church publishes those now on, on our website. I mean, we're open about these are the covenants we make in the temple. Well, I mean, let's just obedience. Obedience, law of obedience. Law of sacrifice. sacrifice. Okay, that's the mo uh, like Mosaic law. Yep. Okay. Law of the gospel. Law of the gospel. Christ, Je the higher law. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> law of chastity. Law of chastity. Yep. Obvious. Yep. Like that's that's not that shouldn't like surprise anybody. Law of consecration. Law of consecration. Yep. I mean, that's most clearly doctrine and covenants, but Jesus taught that very clearly. Young rich man. All of these. We've talked about. It comes. It always comes up. All of these laws, <laughs> the covenants we're making. Law of consecration is actually in Deuteronomy. Well, yeah, like it's it's in there. Yeah, like it's it's it wasn't it wasn't new. Like yeah. Jesus wasn't like bringing something that was like a shocker. Well, that you I, should take care of the poor and like not like put all your heart into wealth. Like that shouldn't have been like revolutionary. You, but <laughs> I think but it was I think because they people, were so corrupted. When people criticize, like, why aren't all of basically weren't all the temple rites you know, detailed out in the Book of Mormon. Well, you're focusing on the wrong thing here. Well, it, All in, of the covenants. In reality, it's just a poor, poorly constructed It is, it is a poor argument. But in reality, the things that matter, the covenants, which is where power is given, the covenants we make in the temple, all five of those, are perfectly contained within the Book of Mormon. All of those things are well-taught, well-versed, and outlined to where... You can't misunderstand each of these things and how to live them and apply them into your life. Like they're all clearly addressed 
within the Book of Mormon. Well, and what is the purpose of living laws, the laws of God, and learning to live higher laws? What's the purpose? Well, it's because we want to become like Jesus Christ so we can be with Jesus Christ. We can be one with him, and we can enter into his presence and and, and come unto him, or, or that he may come unto us. Um, we want to enter into the presence of God. And, you know, of, of course, we desire that eternally after this life. But one of the great revealing aspects of the fullness of the gospel that we get clearly from the Book of Mormon is that men can come into the presence of, of God, come into the presence of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, that's the fullness of, of, of the temple. And that's the whole purpose, right? Even from the tabernacle, right? The whole go, making, going through into the Holy of Holies, right? Is entering into the presence of God. That was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. But with, with the veil rent, that's available to all of us, mm-hmm. right? The temple is now an integral part of, of the gospel for each individual yeah. son and daughter of God. And that's all throughout the Book of Mormon, yeah. starting with Nephi. Well, and, and when we, we've talked about this before, one of the most basic things, but yet overlooked so often about the Book of Mormon and just a basic core teaching of the Book of Mormon is what is what is what is at the center? What is at the heart of the Book of Mormon? Christ himself ministered to the people of the Americas in the flesh. We 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 forget that the Book of Mormon is a witness that. Christ is actively engaged in and and will manifest himself to each of us in the flesh if we seek him out, you know? Does that mean he's going to come down and and stand before me? Maybe, maybe not. He could if he wanted to. There's nothing stopping him from doing that. But the point is this communion with him where you can come to know him just as well as if he stood directly in front of you. That's one of the most beautiful things about Bruce R. McConkie and his last talk, his last general conference talk, where at the end he talks about all of these things he knows through the Spirit about Jesus Christ and his Savior. And he outright admits, when I see Christ in the flesh, I will not have any greater knowledge or any greater belief or faith in him than I do now. He already had that witness. I will not know him any better than I do now. Yes, exactly right. And that is what the Book of Mormon is teaching us is you can know Christ just as well as those who lived through his mortal ministry because he appeared to those who were in the Americas. He revealed himself to those people. And that's the core of the Book of Mormon is Christ is seeking to reveal himself to you individually. And that's what we're trying to harness by going to the temple, by living those covenants, by by exercising those those ordinances and principles in our life is to allow Christ to more perfectly manifest himself unto us individually. One of, and one of the most beautiful representations of that is the brother of Jared, which is among the earliest records yeah. <laughs> yep. of, 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 of God's children that we have. Uh, but what do we see? We see the brother of Jared, again, being called out of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, but through his faith and through the, through the person that he was 
and the laws that he lived, right? He was worthy to go unto the Lord, seek revelation, receive it, serve a prophetic role, but ultimately, he, his faith, his worthiness, pierced the veil and allowed him to see the finger of the Lord mm-hmm. to the point where the Lord could no longer veil himself from the brother Jared. Yes. And he came into the presence of Christ, or Christ came into his presence. And it's just, that's that's the temple. Mm-hmm. That's the temple. And I, I was talking about this with uh, a little while back with one of our missionaries, and I kind of was talking about this, and he, you know, you, you you could see the things were clicking in his head, and he was like, just he was just loving it, and he was like, so, he was like, so the brother of Jared that, you know, is, is like him receiving his endowment, and I said the brother the, the the brother of Jared, is using his endowment, yeah, is exercising exercising it. that gift he's received, yeah, yeah, it's 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 not just receiving it, it's making use of it, yeah. Yep. Making use of what you're given, applying what you've re- to, received, to make it into the presence of the Lord, and that's the fullness of the gospel. There it is, right? Nephi did the same thing. Yep, he was taken up into visions and then came into the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's it's all throughout the Book of Mormon. You see it in the Bible too. Yeah, but it's a central theme. Over it's and so over plain again. and precious yes. in the book of Mormon. Yeah. Right. And, and the fact that the narratives of the book of Mormon starts with like a normal family with Nephi and shows that these are like normal people that are tapping into these blessings. Mm-hmm. How relatable is that? Like that's, it's so clear that this is for each of us individually. Yeah. That's the, that's the fullness of the gospel is to make ourselves at one with the, with the father. Well, and this is something we've discussed before as well is we have a tendency as a people and and this is all people of faith, all Christians. We look at the stories contained within the scriptures and we kind of instinctively say, "Wow, look at these exceptional experiences. Look at these exceptional people." And the inverse of that is this will never happen to me, but there's probably things I can learn from this. Like they're really good to read about. No, that's the wrong perspective. The reason that the Lord has put the scriptures together, the way in which he's put the scriptures together is not to make you feel like these are exceptional people experiencing exceptional events. He's trying to show you and to teach you that these experiences are meant to be had by each of us. The problem is most of us choose not to to have those experiences. They're normal people who became exceptional yes. through the gospel. Yes, and we overlook that. We overlook that far too often. The stories, the miracles, the blessings contained within the scriptures, the Bible and the Book of Mormon, the Lord is trying to tell you as a son or daughter of God, these same experiences can be yours. Now, they're going to differ. They're not going to be what some of these other people have gone through. It's going to be specific to you and what you need and what what the Lord knows you have to have to come into his presence. That's ultimately what he's seeking. Your path will be slightly different than my path. But ultimately, he is saying, just as these other people have done, you can enter my presence as well and inherit all that the Father has through me. Like, that's what he's trying to illustrate to us in the scriptures. So stop pushing them back, thinking... This, this is meant for those unique people who are special. 
and start embracing them saying, how can I start working towards having these experiences in my life and allowing the spirit to operate like that in my life? And as you start thinking about it that way, the spirit will change within you. I mean, you will start to be transformed and start to truly have experiences that are exceptional. And as you write them down, what are you doing? You're essentially writing scripture for your family, for your posterity. I've had these transformative experiences. Let me tell you what's happened to me in my life. This becomes another witness to your family of things that the spirit has worked within you. Allow that to work within you. Embrace these stories, apply them to your life and make them part of who you are. And then you will be able to bear witness of them and pass that legacy on to your posterity. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, that really ties, that really ties the entire Book of Mormon. Like it, it connects it to us personally at an individual level. Like what those prophets did, we should be doing individually for our posterity. Correct. That's an amazing lesson. It really is. And from time to time, you see, you hear about families that have journals from from their father or their grandfather that have very amazing uh, experiences and revelations in them. And of course, when you hear them, you kind of say, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's, that's not scripture. That's not doctrine. That's, mm -hmm. that's, but the truth is that was a spiritual experience that that person had and it's special and meaningful to that family. Yeah. And, that's, I mean, that's the patriarchal order, yeah. essentially, that at work. So, yeah, that's not scripture. You can't consider that scripture for the church. For the church, correct. For yeah. the world. Yeah. But that can provide meaning, stability, spiritual foundations and strength for that family and yeah. for that posterity. And that's part of the fullness of the gospel. That's right. Is that we, right, like Moses said, that we could all be prophets unto the Lord he wasn't saying that we could all speak uh, for Israel, for the church. He's saying that we could all individually have a relationship with God and and provide for our families spiritually yep. and work to bring ourselves and our families unto God. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's how, that is the most efficient and effective way for the gospel to operate in our lives. Yeah. Well, and the truth is as you, as you, sync and align your life the way in which these individuals and these families within the scriptures we see the truths that you receive the experiences you're going to have the way in which the spirit operates within you is not going to contradict or be outside the lines or the bounds of which the lord has already revealed so if if things are being done appropriately and accordingly any of these experiences you have that are going to transform you are going to be in line with revealed truth that, that God has already opened to the world, right? So you write these things down as a patriarch or as a matriarch of your family. You, you pass on these things to your children and they're unique to you. It will bond you and your posterity. And yet all of that truth will still be circumscribed into the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ and into the eternal plan that the Father has for us. You're not going outside the bounds. It, it isn't scripture 
for the entire world to have, but it may be scripture that your posterity needs to read and say, not only are there scriptures bearing witness of these things and how transformative they can be, but my grandfather or my grandmother or my mother or father, they've had these transformational experiences in their life as well. This person that I know, yeah. that I knew, mm -hmm. that I can relate with, that is meaningful to me, had these experiences. Yep. How great of a witness is that to you that you too can go through those and have those same experiences? So, and sometimes that's way more powerful mm -hmm. than reading about some some prophets that you never knew. Seems so far Hundreds off. or thousands of years ago, yeah. right? That Like it's... You, it might be difficult to connect with that. Yeah. But when you're reading it, and it was your father, it was your grandfather, was, right? That that's personal. That's yeah. that that that's emotional. That's meaningful. Right. Of course, that's going to have value and have merit. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to something we had talked about, kind of in preparation for our podcast today. But I'm not sure we've really fully vetted it here in in what we wanted to discuss. One of the unique aspects of the Book of Mormon is that. There were men living who received personal, outside of Joseph Smith, they received personal manifestations of angels containing, holding the plates, holding the Book of Mormon that was abridged and put together by Moroni. Like these, these were all, this was all put together so that men could testify in our day of its truthfulness, different than the Bible, which is hard sometimes to feel a connection to because it seems at times so far in the past, we have the Book of Mormon rolling forth, coming forth more purely, more efficiently translated mm -hmm. with fewer hands in the pot, so to speak. And then we have other men in our dispensation, in our dispensation, men who were still alive 130 years ago. Yeah who bore witness, some of which, I might add, may have even left the church. Became estranged with Joseph yeah, Smith. Yeah, became estranged with Joseph, but would never deny that they had seen an angel of God, they had beheld the plates, and they knew it was true, and they absolutely could not deny it. They knew that condemnation was hanging over them if they denied it. Well, and then there were people and reporters who were giving them incentive. Yes, trying to get them to deny to it. To deny it. Yep, and they would not. And some of those people came back to the church and were integrated back into the to the kingdom of God. And some of them chose not to come back, yet never could deny that they had seen angels. They had beheld the plates in which Joseph translated the Book of Mormon of. How do you, how do you deny that witness? What do you do? It's easy to just lazily throw it off and say, whatever, that doesn't mean anything, but you're not, you're not explaining it. You're not fully dealing with that witness that exists that not even the Bible has. You don't have people that lived 130 years ago saying, I beheld the original manuscripts, an angel of God descended from heaven and showed me these plates. I received heavenly messengers who verbally were telling me the truthfulness of these things and even if they had issues with the church thereafter, could not or would not deny it. What do you do with that? You can't simply sweep that under the rug, you know, and yet there it is that that testimony is there and you can pretend like it doesn't matter. But an intellectually honest person cannot simply say this means nothing because all the evidence 
proves the contrary to that. There is something there that you have to deal with one way or another. The last thing that uh, the comment I was going to make just about how the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel has to do with one of its purposes of, of being here in the last days in our day. And this actually comes from President Nelson, who at the time was Elder Nelson, as when he visited my mission. So here's another one of those. Another experience is blessing us both another ble- from your mission. Another blessing from the mission. <laughs> but Elder Nelson, he visited us and and uh, gave a just taught on the gathering of Israel and the importance of the gathering of Israel. So same old same old Nelson. <laughs> Some things never change, huh? <laughs> and they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. That's right. Uh, but he was talking about the gathering of Israel and the role and and purpose of the Book of Mormon in the gathering of Israel. And he made the comment, he kind of drew like a timeline up on a whiteboard, and he said, the Book of Mormon is a record of God's people preparing for his coming. And then he said, what's going on today? We are God's people preparing for his coming. And that's the most direct application, I think, probably of the Book of Mormon. It's a roadmap. Yep. Why it's so applicable today. Yep. How is it the fullness of the gospel? Well, it's a roadmap for our dispensation. Yep. It begins with a people being organized into a church, into God's people, making covenants, growing, going through right the challenges and, and everything of life, but preparing for his coming. And then what happens? He comes. Yeah. Right? The first coming of Christ. <laughs> he, the resurrected Christ appears to the Americas and... Uh, and the Nephites established Zion, and we see the fullness of of the fullness of the gospel implemented, right, in a celestial order, brought to the earth, and that is what we're going through right now. We are preparing the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are preparing and working to establish Zion and bring celestial glory to the earth, establish a celestial society on the earth and and receive the king. And that's just, it's that was one of those just, it was mind-blowing because how simple and how direct it is. And once you say it, once you see it, it's like, it's obvious, mm. but it's just amazing uh, that it's, it's literally a, a roadmap. And it's like, you want to see what's coming? It's in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. Like there's, you know what? What do we see? Okay, yeah. There's going to be there's going to be corruption in government. There's going to be there's going to be destruction. Yep. Secret combinations. Secret combinations. There's going to be destruction on the earth. Yep. And then we're going to receive the Savior in glory. And what is He going to bring with Him? A fullness of the Spirit. A fullness of truth. He's going to aid us in establishing a Zion society, and 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 being a uh, a perfected people in him, in his gospel. Yeah. And what uh, what greater tool could we have? One of the things we like to say in the church is the restoration is ongoing. Why is that? Because receiving Christ I think is it... part of the restoration. We haven't received him yet in his physical form. And yet 
we know that must happen. So the restoration, for a lot of reasons, is ongoing. There will certainly be truth that continues to be revealed. However, the most important part of the ongoing restoration is that ultimately part of that restoration, the the pinnacle of this restoration, is Christ himself returning as high priest and king to rule and reign and to establish his perfect ways once again upon the earth. That's what we're driving towards. And that's true both generally for the world, mm. and it's also true individually. Correct. Right? We as a people, right, there, there will be the, the glorious second coming, and the Christ will come to, his, to the world, reveal himself to the world, and come and reveal himself to his people. But we are also working through the gospel to restore ourselves personally, individually, to the Lord. And in that sense, right, the second coming individually can happen at any time as soon as as soon as we're ready to receive him. But as a people, right, there is a there is a time established that no one knows and those events will will occur and we can prepare for them because we have a roadmap. That is so profound. And we have talked about this before, but something I wasn't even thinking about just now that whole aspect of Christ, his second coming for you individually can happen as quickly as you allow it to happen, as fast as you truly seek and, and, and work towards and give all that must be given to receive him and that personal, unique, powerful witness of him. And here's the interesting thing. Part of me has a feeling that Christ's physical manifestation and return to the world is somewhat dependent on each of us individually receiving him personally. And when enough of them have received that personal witness, that personal manifestation, again, not necessarily seeing him in his physical form, but receiving such a powerful witness by the Holy Ghost that he is exactly who we believe he is. When enough people truly have that transformative truth instilled within them and align their lives in accordance with that truth, well, the world will truly start to be prepared then to receive him on a global level. And so seek after him because we want him to return as fast as possible. And it may just be a matter of there's not enough people yet, not enough saints that have received that unique witness, that surety that he is exactly who he said he is. Well, it's not by chance that the primary work that the church is undertaking in preparation for the second coming is accelerating the construction of temples across the world. Yep. The temple allows us individually to come unto Christ in, in the, the fullness of, of every sense. And as we all come unto Christ individually, then we are doing our part in establishing Zion. Yep. And that is the framework necessary to prepare the earth for the second coming. We all have a role. We're all participating Right in 
in those end time events in the preparation of the second coming of Christ simply by finding the gospel and living the gospel and and bringing um, that light and truth in us and growing that in the world. Amen. I mean, that's, and we may end up doing a whole series on kind of the temple and preparing for entering, understanding, you know, being able to have the right perspective and to some of the things the temple is seeking to teach you because season two, the season two, because that whole aspect of that, there is so much light and truth that the Lord is gifting to you. If you will receive it, it, it literally, it breaks my heart when I see people that go to the temple and I talk to them about it and I can see it hasn't had the effect on them yet that perhaps I know it can have on them. And some people, because of that, they just slowly drift away and they don't go as often because they haven't truly sought it by revelation. As the temple says, it's given by revelation. You've got to receive it by revelation. And we're certainly not going to reveal anything that, you know, is, would be inappropriate or, or saying this is the end all be all, but just some perspectives on how to put certain things in the temple in, in, in just a different perspective and maybe help you think about, well, how can this draw me to Christ personally and individually? One of the most important steps in the process of understanding and getting getting meaningful insights from the temple is just talking about it or, or, or thinking about it. Yeah, right? pondering it's just upon it. Pondering on it, right? So even if we're talking high level, or we were talking generally about about principles and doctrines and concepts, right? It's if you're just thinking about it and pondering on it, letting that spirit work within you, right? That's how you do it. The, the, the when when did have I learned the most about about the temple ordinances and the endowment and what it means to me and how I can apply it in my life? Well, it's when I was going weekly mm. and having constant. Uh, reminders and access to to the words of those those uh, those ordinances it, it was always in my mind it was always it was so easy to be thinking about it and pondering on it because I was always going yeah and you know I think that would probably be the purpose is is you know it's just one more outlet more another insight another opinion another way of thinking about it yeah. the more you the more you stand in holy places and and put yourself around that kind of information right the actual information itself is of less importance than the spirit and environment you're creating for the Holy Ghost to reveal things to you, yep. for you to get, for you to learn things through the spirit and not from, and not necessarily from, from other men. Yeah. But, uh, we've talked about a lot today in regards to this, but hopefully we talked about the fullness of the, the gospel. Hopefully that came through <laughs> at some point. But I kept trying to tie it back in. Like, this is <laughs> I want to bring this back kind of full circle from where we started. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the King of Kings. He is our Lord and our Savior. And save, But for him, all would be lost. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is everything to us. 
And what we're saying in, in this discussion today is some of the gifts he has given us is a restoration of Scripture, the Book of Mormon being revealed to the world in a very pure, simple, yet efficient and beautiful way. It contains the fullness of the gospel. It set a foundation on which his kingdom, the kingdom of God, could once again be restored and move forward, ultimately leading to his millennial reign once again upon the earth. It established Joseph Smith as the prophet of this dispensation, holding the keys of the priesthood necessary for the saving ordinances to be administered to all of God's children, past, present, and future. And all of that is available to us. This is his work. That's what we're saying. Everything that we have as a church and as a kingdom of God establishes Christ as our Savior. Everything points to him. Please do not let us become as the Pharisees or the Sadducees, where we miss the mark. Everything we do points to him. He is the reason for everything we are working towards, because without him, nothing would be available to us. The eternities would be closed. He opens the door. He is the way. He is the one that stands at the gate, and he employs no servants there. The Book of Mormon, the prophet Joseph Smith, and every prophet who has carried that mantle since his passing is ultimately leading us on the straight and narrow path to Christ himself. He is my Savior. I have received a personal, unique, individual manifestation from the Holy Ghost, a member of the Godhead, that he is the Savior of the world, that the Book of Mormon is true, and that Joseph Smith was his prophet called in this last dispensation. I testify of him and your ability to receive that same witness by a member of the Godhead in the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior. Amen. Amen. And I give my second witness to the same. That Jesus is the Christ. And that each of us can know the, the truthfulness of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truthfulness that his church is established and his priesthood is on the earth by reading the Book of Mormon and praying to know that it's true and thus knowing that Joseph Smith was a prophet. And I know that this is true and this is available to each of you because I have done it myself and have received that same witness. And... There is nothing more important and nothing more powerful and more beautiful that you can do for your life than to come unto Christ with an open heart, with real intent, and seek truth with humility and with a heart to follow that truth, whatever it be, wherever it takes you. That is what he, Christ wants of us. He, he wants us to be his disciples. He wants us to continue on doing the good works that he did when he was on the earth. And I testify that we can be those disciples and that all of the tools, the fullness of the gospel is available to us to be successful in doing so. And that the 
the, the fullness of God's blessings, even coming back into his presence and partaking of that celestial glory is available to us. And I share that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.